Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football family. With me, your host, as always, Harry Simiou. Arsenal are back in action this weekend and I, for one, cannot wait. I'm so sick of talk around baseless transfer rumours. I'm so fed up of it. Like, this January window, it's not moving. It might in the last couple of weeks. I think that's what a lot of people are hoping. I think a lot of people are hoping that Arsenal are going to pull a rabbit out of a hat, but I don't really see it coming. I think that Arsenal are actively looking to do something short-term, something to plug what they would maybe identify as a couple of holes in the squad. But is there any guarantee that they're going to do any business? First of all, no. It's clear that the profit and sustainability rules have, and the punishments that come when you don't adhere to them have not just tied Arsenal's hands behind their backs, but they seem to have spooked the entire Premier League. When you look at the lack of activity across the board right now, that is clear to see. And I'm so relieved that we're back on the podcast and we're not talking about transfers. We're going to be focused on Arsenal's game coming up at the weekend against Crystal Palace. Now, I do want to touch on just a couple of stories that have been doing the rounds because I think it's important that we try and put those to bed um, so that we can focus on, you know, what's to come at the weekend. It's a big old game for Arsenal. We're on a rotten run of form, really, um, in terms of what we're looking to achieve. You know, you want a challenge for the Premier League. It has to be better. We have to be in a far better run of form, vein of form than we are in currently. We know that. Crystal Palace at home on paper looks like an opportunity to get back to winning ways. But Crystal Palace at times have proven a bit of a bogey side for us at the Emirates. And they've gone to other places like Manchester City, even when in a rotten run of form themselves and got a result. So this is a team you have to be really, really careful of. Up against a, a side managed by someone really, really experienced, someone who's been around the block more times than he probably cares to remember in Roy Hodgson. This game ordinarily would be looked at as a very winnable and easy fixture. And I'm not saying it's not a winnable fixture. And I'm not saying that I'd accept anything less than all three points at the weekend. But it does have the potential, particularly when you're going through a difficult time, to be a little bit of a banana skin. So we've got to be really, really careful. We've got to be bang on it on Saturday. And we're going to preview this game in detail, in full, on this edition of the Big Match Preview right here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Before we dive into it, I want to say a few hellos to some of you in the live chat. A big hello to Creambone, uh, also known as Trev, or Trev, also known as Creambone, uh, who says, Afternoon, young Harold, sir. Desperately need some Chronicles of Aguna. Currently sitting in A&E, waiting to find out if I've broken my finger. So make it a good one. Well, I hope you haven't broken your finger, mate. Wish you all the best. Um, I hope everything's good. And I'm um, sorry to hear that you're sitting in A&E. I mean, anyone who's been to A&E uh, in and around the London area in recent times knows what the queues are like, mate. So uh, I hope you're <laughs> prepared for the long haul. But joking aside, I hope everything's good. I hope you're fine. Uh, big hello to Goal Art. So make sure you head over and check out her amazing artwork. She says, Harry does the best previews out there. No question. Thank you so much. Uh, Humble Columbus says, Harry started listening to you this month. You talk a lot of sense. Thank you. Um, a lot of people would disagree and say that I talk out of my backside. Um, maybe I do a bit of that at times as well, but really appreciate the support, mate. Welcome. Um, Benjamin says, I think it's time for Kai Havertz at left back. One game, one goal. You can't argue with those numbers, of course, Kai Havertz, having appeared for Germany um, at left back uh, not that long ago. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, big hello to Owen. I, I think he's joking in reference to Trev's comment, is he? Uh, not sure. Uh, we've got Hacker. Um, Steve Stone is in the chat. Steve, absolute pleasure to meet you at the Emirates Stadium um, for the Liverpool game. I am so sorry that I couldn't stop and talk for longer. Um, I really, really wanted to. It's just when you're on the radio and you've got them in your ear, um, you just never know when they're going to cut back to you. And I know that there were some technical issues going on in one of the other games that we were covering on BBC London. And I thought if that drops off at any time, they could divert back to me, which is why I seemed like I was a bit kind of all over the place. Um, but really, really good to meet you, mate. Really, really uh, appreciate it. 
Okay, uh, what else have we got? We've got uh, Evan Afsar's with us, who's furious with the cold weather. Yeah, me too, mate. I'm sick of it as well. Um, and a big hello to Dennis, who says, finally, I get to watch you live for the first time, even if I listen uh, to all your pods on Apple. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, one second. Uh, let me just... Let me just reply to this. I know it's very unprofessional of me. Um, hold on a second. I'm getting... Uh, apparently, I was supposed to be somewhere. Whoops. <laughs> anyway, um, we're here now. We're talking Arsenal. That's what matters. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's dive into um, the preview. Shall we do the preview bit first, or should we kill some of these transfer rumours first? I think we should kill some of the transfer rumours, because somewhere... Uh, out of somewhere, out of nowhere, I would say, last night, this bomb dropped about Karen Benzema, apparently. Karen Benzema to Arsenal, come on. So we talked about this a few days ago on the Chronicles of Aguna, and we talked about the fact that as much as I'd love Karen Benzema to end up wearing an Arsenal shirt for the remainder of the season, as good as I think he is, I think he's one of the few players in world football that can do what Jesus does in terms of being that great facilitator, but also scores enough goals. That's why he's so rare. That's why he's so special. That's why he's so magic. Um, that's why he's been the player that he's been, um, you know, at the top of uh, sort of La Liga and in world football, recent Ballon d'Or winner as well. You know, that, that's why Karen Benzema has had the career that he has because he's all round a brilliant, brilliant footballer. But this idea that Arsenal are considering a loan move for Karen Benzema, to me, it, it just doesn't make sense. And that's the first thing I do when I hear a transfer story or a transfer report. Um, the first thing I think is, does it make sense? And if it doesn't, um, then, you know, the likelihood of it being real is is probably pretty low. Now, I think with, with Karen Benzema, right, we all know um, that he's of course, you know, fallen out with people at Al-Itihad. Um, we all know that he's looking for a way out or potentially looking for a way out. And I think he feels that, you know, a move back to Europe is something that he could do, that he could cope with, despite going over there and maybe playing at a lower intensity, at a lower level and all the rest of it, being in and out of the side because of problems that he's had uh, with some of the, the people involved in Al-Itihad and all the rest of it. My my concern here is not about Karen Benzema, the footballer. My concern here is about the finance. And if we've spent the entire window up until now, the first 18 days of the window, telling you that Arsenal are in a bit of a bind because of the profit and sustainability rules, how can I sit here now and tell you that Karen Benzema is a realistic option? I can't. I can't. The first sign we got, that Arsenal were going to have a quiet January. Do you know when it came? It came at the end of the summer window when they signed David Raya on loan. That screamed out, didn't it? That Arsenal need to be careful financially. That was the only way that Arsenal could do that deal with Brentford for David Raya. David Raya wanted the move. Brentford wanted to be guaranteed the money and were happy for that money to come later down the line. But they wanted to have an agreement in place. That's why they allowed the deal to be completed, the loan deal that is, and, you know, with a view to obviously it becoming permanent. People will say and are telling us that it is an option to buy. I believe that there is clearly some kind of gentleman's agreement in place. Otherwise, there's no way on God's green earth that Brentford would have agreed to that. So that was the first sign that January was going to be tough. That, that was the first sign. Now, you know, maybe between signing David Raya and the end of the window, we could have offloaded a couple of players that would have made the situation um, different going into the January window down the line. But obviously that didn't happen. But the first sign came when Arsenal did the David Raya deal the way they did. So, Am I surprised with how the window's gone so far? No, I'm not. And will I be surprised if Arsenal end up signing absolutely no one between now and the end of January? No, I won't be. Because that's what I think is probably going to happen. 
So when stories like this come out, I look at them and I think, first of all, where's it coming from? Is it coming from a credible source? It came from team talk. Now, I'm not saying I, I, I'm not in the business of sitting here and going, well, he said that and he must be a clown because he said that. And then this happened or anything like that. I've said it to you guys a million and one times as a journalist. You are at the mercy of the information that you're given. You know, some journalists are, are more right than others in terms of the frequency. Some journalists get more information than others. It's just one of those things that, you know, I don't want to sit and judge people and I don't want to sit and pull people apart. And I don't think it's fair. But when I look at that report, it's Arsenal are considering a loan for Karen Benzema. Arsenal like Karen Benzema. Well, everybody likes Karen Benzema. You're not really telling me much and you're not really giving me anything to suggest that this is something that is a real possibility. So then I think about that. I think about the word in how vague it is and all the rest of it. And then I think about Arsenal's situation as a football club and I go, this probably isn't true. This probably isn't happening. Even if it is true that Arsenal like Karen Benzema and would maybe, if the opportunity came along, explore um, how they could potentially do that deal. It's just not going to happen. And we were speaking over on the 90 Min show earlier today with uh, Damesh Seth uh, from Sky Sports. And we were talking quite a bit about why this transfer window has been the way it has been. And it's not just an Arsenal thing. It is an issue right across the board. I think it's only been £26 million spent in the Premier League or something like that. It's a really, really low figure. And when you think that last January, we were talking about, I think, around £400 million or something, maybe even more than that. A lot of that was spent by Chelsea, of course. But it's it's crazy that there's been such a big difference. Now, when it comes to the profit and sustainability rules, I know I said we're going to talk only about the match. We'll get onto the match in a minute. But when it comes to the profit and sustainability rules, you've got to remember that this is this factors in the last three years. And a lot of these clubs were badly hit by COVID during that period, during that accounting period. So there is still the knock-on effects of that lingering. That is still an issue that clubs are having to come to terms with. And because of how recently that was, even though it feels like a million years ago, it isn't. And because of how recently that all happened and that all went down and, and you know, unfortunately, lots and lots of people lost their lives. It was really, really sad. Sport became, you know, far less important in the context of things at the time. But because of the effects of that and fans not being able to go to stadiums and stuff, clubs were set back quite a bit financially. And we're not far enough along from those events for that not to have an impact on your books. So we shouldn't be surprised with how things are at the moment. It's not just an Arsenal issue. Very, very few clubs are able to do significant business right now. The market is currently dead. Circling back to Karen Benzema. I read yesterday, and again, I don't know how true this is, but I read yesterday that he's on around about £100 million a week. £100 million a week. He's not going to waive that money. So are we saying that as the Premier League club, who clearly can't afford to match that, we're going to go over to the Saudis. We're going to go to Al-Itihad and say, guys, normally we do this for other clubs, but, you know, we're in a bit of a bind here. You know, the Premier League have finally woken up and decided that they're going to enforce the profit and sustainability rules and that harsh punishments are going to be dished out for all those that don't adhere to them. Mind covering half his wages. They're going to say, what? Half his wages isn't even a drop in the ocean, really. When you think about how much money he's on, even if they covered half, I'd argue that we still shouldn't pay that money. Now, on a purely footballing perspective, from a purely footballing perspective, I like Karen Benzema. And I'd love to have him. But it's not happening. Not at the moment, anyway. So don't get carried away. Don't get too excited on that one. Um, but when I saw some of the reaction yesterday to that that tweet going out, that story going out, and how many people that I thought, come on, you're better than that, jumping on it. I thought to myself, what is going on here? What is going on here? This deal is not happening, guys. Relax. Relax. 
Um, I, I, junior Gunner, I didn't say 100 mil a week. I said 100 mil a year. Or I should have said 100 mil a year. Now you're making me doubt myself. Maybe I did say 100 mil a week. Um, it's 100 million a year that I read. I beg your pardon if I, if there was a slip of the tongue there. Uh, I am sorry. I am sorry. Um, okay. Let's uh, let's dive into the game against Crystal Palace then. Uh, a big hello to everybody who's joined me um, since the very beginning of the stream. If you haven't done so already, please do uh, leave a like on the video and subscribe to the channel if you're brand spanking new. We've got a new logo too. It's a long time coming. Uh, it was needed. You see it on the top right hand side of your screen. Do you like it? Let me know. Um, like, subscribe. If you're listening on audio, please do leave us a review as well. We're going to take a really, really short pause. And then all our attention turns to that game against Crystal Palace at the weekend before we round up the show with some of your questions from the live chat. Don't go anywhere. Arsenal take on Crystal Palace this weekend at Emirates Stadium. And we're going to start off by doing our statistical preview. Let's have a look at the head-to-head between these two sides. 29 meetings in Premier League history. And it's fair to say Arsenal have been pretty dominant in this fixture down the years. 17 wins for the Gunners, eight draws between the two sides and just four wins for the Eagles. So history tells us that Arsenal, um, you know, should fancy their chances in this one. But it's not always as simple as that, right? It's the Premier League. Uh, if we take it on to the recent meetings, of course, Arsenal won at Crystal Palace by a goal to nil back on Monday the 21st of August. It was a good night, that. We had Takahiro Tomiyasu sent off, which was a bit of a downer, really, really soft decision, I thought. Uh, really, really poor decision, actually. Um, I was part of the commentary team that night at Selhurst Park with BBC London, um, and I really had a great night sitting there in a T-shirt. It was beautiful weather. Um, you know, good memories. But it hasn't always been that straightforward for the Gunners against Crystal Palace in recent times. Uh, prior to this game, of course, the Gunners beat Palace by four goals to one uh, on Sunday, the 19th of March, during our title charge. But if you go uh, back a little bit further to Monday, the 4th of April, we were beaten 3 0. Monday, the 4th of April 2022, that is at Selhurst Park. And that dealt our uh, Champions League hopes that year a real big blow. We did win at the start of last season at Selhurst Park. So, um, you know, that that was obviously a positive result. If you look at it across the last five meetings in the Premier League, Arsenal have won uh, three. There's been one draw and one Crystal Palace victory. If you go back a little bit further, so if you go beyond the last five games, there are a few really good results for Crystal Palace at Emirates Stadium. You could argue that that 1-1 draw uh, 2-2 draw, I beg your pardon, that you can see on your screen back on Monday, the 18th of October 2021 was one of those. But, you know, there was a point where Crystal Palace on the break, problem for us, Wilfred Zaha, etc., etc. Are they that same team now, though? I guess you could argue that they're not. If you look at the recent form guide, well, this is the worrying part. Both sides have managed just one win in their last five Premier League games. Crystal Palace's last win came at home to Brentford. It was a 3-1 victory. Arsenal's last win came four games ago at home to Brighton, which I thought was probably our best performance of the season. But after that, things started to go south. A 1-1 draw with Liverpool at Anfield, which is certainly a respectable result and one I was certainly not disappointed with at the end of that game. But then we lost at home to West Ham by two goals to nil. And then we put in, having put in our best performance just a few games before, I would say against Brighton, we then put in our worst performance of the season away at Fulham, where we were beaten by two goals to one. So three defeats for the Gunners in their last five. Not even Crystal Palace have suffered three defeats in their last five, just two defeats for them. And they came away at Chelsea and at home to Liverpool. They managed to snatch a 2-2 draw at Manchester City and uh, and held Brighton in the M23 derby or whatever it's called at Selhurst Park uh, to a 1-1 draw as well. Listen, as I said in the opening of the show, Crystal Palace are the type of team that can spring a surprise. They're the type of team that can sit in, be hard to break down, and they do pose a counter-attacking threat. And Roy Hodgson is very experienced, very um, tactically astute, and he will know exactly what spaces he needs to try and shut down to prevent Arsenal, um, you know, pulling them apart, basically. Arsenal have the quality to hurt Crystal Palace. There's no question about that, but we need people to be on song. We need people to be firing. Um, we, we need 
we need a much better performance, to be honest, than than we've seen in a long, long time, really. Because this run that we're on right now, it's worrying, it's concerning, it's uh, it's frustrating, it's a big disappointment. And I get that, you know, I've been one of the people saying, guys, look, let's just try and chill out and calm down a little bit. But I also understand that when you then have a break like we've had, your imagination starts to run wild. You start to overthink things. I've certainly been doing that over the last two weeks. And that's why I'm so glad and so pleased now that we're going to see Arsenal back in action and we can let the football do the talking. Season so far, Arsenal currently fourth, but just five points off the top of the table. Crystal Palace are down in 14th. They've won just five Premier League games this season in comparison to our 12. They've got six draws, nine defeats, Arsenal four defeats already. Average goals score per match, Crystal Palace average just over one. Arsenal's just under two. Um, which is not great um, if you're pushing for a title. Uh, average goals conceded per match, we're on one. They're on about one and a half. They've managed five clean sheets. We've managed seven um, chances created per match. Arsenal lead, but not by much. I always say this, though, on every single preview show that we do, when we use the statistics from the Premier League's website, I'm not sure how they work out that particular bit. If you look at the top player statistics across these two sides, Joint top in terms of goal scorers across these two teams are Son Edouard and Bukayo Saka, both on six. Eddie Nketiah is in third on five. Assists, it's led by Bukayo Saka on six. Jordan Ayew has got five in second place. And Jean-Philippe Mateta, who I think will probably come back into the side and start up front tomorrow, has three. When it comes to tackles, Declan Rice is up there. Bukayo Saka's even up there in third, but leading the way is Tyrick Mitchell of Crystal Palace. He's managed 46 tackles in the Premier League so far this season. What to expect then from Roy Hodgson's side? I think you're going to face a low block. Now, I've brought up on the screen the team that played last night against Everton um, in the FA Cup. I was going to take the last Premier League team, but then when I factored in that they played in the FA Cup the other week, I was ending up going back too far. Um, you know, they didn't play last week because of the the winter break and then they didn't play in the Premier League the week before because of the FA Cup. I'd have been going back weeks and I don't think that would have been an accurate representation. So I've gone with their FA Cup team. Johnston in goal. Um, back four of Klein, Anderson, Gurhi and Mitchell. Um, they went with Richards and Lerma in the defensive midfield positions. Uh, Ebereche, Eze, Hughes and Schlup were playing in support of Edouard. So I think Mateta will probably come back in the side if I had to predict what we're going to be facing. Eze was taken off early in the game against Everton last night, despite them being um, a goal down. And, and that upset a lot of Crystal Palace supporters. It really, really did. The reaction to that was was quite strong from what I was seeing. Um, you know, I understand it, but Roy Hodgson is a pragmatist. Was he taking Eberetche Eze off because he needs him? I didn't see Michael Elise in the squad yesterday as well. I don't know if he's injured. I hope he's injured, not because I don't like Michael Elise, but because I'd rather Arsenal didn't have to face him. Um, but if Elise is unavailable, which I'm not sure about yet because we haven't had any press conferences at the time of recording, then Eze's importance increases further. And that could explain why Roy Hodgson was desperate to try and um, wrap him up in cotton wool when it became apparent maybe that um, they weren't going to, to get anything out of last night's game. Crystal Palace, they offer a counter-attacking threat. There's no doubt about that. Um, whether it's Eze, Elise, you know, they haven't got Wilfred Zaha anymore, but even the likes of Jeffrey Schlup, who's a really interesting player, actually, because I think he's he's been criminally underrated over the years. He can give you something going forward, playing down that left-hand side. We've seen it and it stretches all the way back to his Leicester City days. But he's also a very hard worker and a very good defensive player. And he could protect the fullback, Mitchell, quite well. So I think that's a, a really, really interesting um, you know, selection choice that Roy Hodgson maybe has to make. Look, I've put on the screen, patience may be required because when you face a team that are going to come and set up the way that Crystal Palace do, you know, it might take some time for you to figure out where the spaces are, where the holes are and how you can hurt them. So, yeah, I'm um, I'm being patient. Uh, well, I'm, I'm saying from now that when I go there, I'm going to be patient. And 
if you want to listen to the game, if you're in the London area, um, please do join us if you're listening on the radio. BBC Radio London on digital. We're going to be bringing you coverage. There's no better place to listen to this one. A London derby between two London sides. Where else are you going to get better coverage than the home of London football? Nick Godwin is on commentary alongside Paul Parker, and I'll be chipping in as the third commentator. I'll be part of the build-up as well, half-time, full-time, all the rest of it. Um, but I'll be there breaking it all down as well as it unfolds in front of me at Emirates Stadium. So join us, BBC Radio London. We're on here from midday, I think, um, and we'll take you all the way through that one. Phil Parry back in the studio, uh, Nick Godwin, Paul Parker and myself. So it should be should be a good one. Hopefully the result is a, is a good one as well. But that's what I expect from Crystal Palace. Low block, um, looking to frustrate us, looking to hit us on the break. Set pieces will be something that they'll look at as well. And we haven't been watertight from those in recent times. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a tough game. I really do. Um, my starting eleven then to face Crystal Palace. I've been thinking about this ever since the Liverpool game. And I spoke to Charles Watts about it yesterday on our last podcast. You can go back and check that out. It's the last pod in the feed. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. And we talked a lot about the midfield. We'll come on to the midfield in a second, but I think that Mikel Arteta has got an interesting decision to make. I really, really do. If we start with the, the back four, um, I've gone with White, Saliba, Gabriel and Kivior. Now, as far as I'm aware, Zinchenko isn't available. Hasn't been training in Dubai, hasn't been pictured anywhere. Um, I know that the club tried to kind of play down, um, you know, the the severity of this injury when it first came to light, when he missed the first game. But you now he's not been back and, and I'm not confident that he's going to be fit and available for this one. So Zinchenko probably isn't going to play. With Tommy Asu at the Asian Cup and with Julian Timberstale injured, that means that Jakob Kivio is probably going to have to play at left back. You'll notice that I've gone, I've put Raya in goal. I have to say that that's a bit of a typo from me because I would have put Ramsdale in. Now, again, this is the team that I would pick. I don't for a second think that Mikel Arteta will pick Ramsdale over Raya for this one. Not for a second. But I quite enjoyed the way Ramsdale performed against Liverpool. I thought it was in stark contrast to his Brentford performance where he played in the Carabao Cup where I thought he was really, really nervous, panicking a lot, struggling to stay composed. And then you look at the way he played against Liverpool, and I thought he was much, much better that day. Um, but I don't think he's going to come in the side. So I would have swapped Raya with Ramsdale had I remembered to change it on my graphic. I haven't. Poor me. Useless. But I would personally play Ramsdale in goal. Um so the back four, White, Saliba, Gabriel, Kivior. Now, midfield, I think, is interesting. I think we look far more balanced with Jorginho in there alongside Rice rather than with Rice sitting at the base and Kai Havertz playing as the left eight. I think that Kai Havertz, if the game state requires it, could easily drop back into that midfield. You could sacrifice the more defensive-minded or, or deep-lying Jorginho, and then you could put Jesus in up front as well. I've gone Saka Martinelli on the flanks and I've gone with Kai Havertz up front. Now, people are going to go at me for this in the comments. I know. I know it's coming. Um, but my thinking behind this is, A, Jorginho gives us that better balance from midfield. So that means that I don't have a use for Kai Havertz in the midfield on this particular day. I think that Saka and Martinelli, like, I mean, I look at Trossard. I don't think Trossard's in particularly good form at the moment either to say that that's a clear and obvious change that I would want to make. For all his faults in terms of his finishing, I thought that Kai Havertz up front against Liverpool worked quite well in terms of the opportunities his presence allowed us to create. 
I thought everything was really good from Kai Havertz. The runs, um, the spaces that he took up, some of the link-up play, some of the decision-making, apart from when he was required to take on an effort himself and have a shot at goal. Now, people will say that, that it's wild that I'm putting him there after the fact that he didn't play so well um, in terms of his finishing anyway against Liverpool. But I would argue that with Jesus, we've got to be really careful now. This knee thing, it's not going away. You know, knee injury after knee injury after knee injury. It's the same knee as well. So it's a big, big concern for me. I wouldn't rush him back because I don't think we're desperate to have him back in that centre-forward position because I thought Kai Havertz proved, and has proven previously, actually, when he's played up front for Arsenal, that he can bring you that link-up play. And I genuinely believe, as we discussed a little bit earlier on in the week, that Mikel Arteta's intention when he signed Kai Havertz was to have him as a different option up front. Now, you could argue that Arteta could have done this earlier, that Arteta could have used Jorginho more. And me and Charles Watts spoke about that yesterday, because I certainly feel like Jorginho has been underused, um, given the issues that we've had in terms of balancing that midfield. But I would go Kai Havertz up front and I'd leave Gabriel Jesus out of the starting eleven because I want him to make a full recovery. I want us to be sure that Gabriel Jesus is OK again because he always seems to pick up a problem. He goes out of the team. Everybody's fearing the worst. Oh, my God, he's going to be out for ages. And then a week later, he pops up again and you go, hold on a minute. How the hell did you recover that quickly? Have you actually recovered? Well, based on the fact that the same knee is giving him problems over and over again, you could argue that we haven't actually allowed him to recover properly and in the way that's required. So I would leave Gabriel Jesus out of my starting 11. So my starting 11 to face Crystal Palace at the weekend. Let me know your thoughts in the comments and I'll come to those in a second. Ramsdale in goal, despite what the graphic says. White, Saliba, Gabriel and Kivior across the back. Jorginho, Odegaard and Rice in midfield. Martinelli and Saka on either side of Kai Havertz up front. So that's what um, I am going with. Going to take a really, really brief pause and then I'm going to dive into the comments to get your thoughts on Harry's starting 11 for the game against Crystal Palace. Why am I talking about myself in third person? Okay, let's dive over to the live chat. Uh, what have we got here? Um do -do -do. Uh, Hacker says uh, he obviously saw the graphic come up. Havertz up top. Who wants to say something first? Listen, I, I that's my genuine opinion. I'm not just, you know, someone would say, oh, look, it's PR. He's trying to like just make everybody like Kai Havertz. What I say doesn't impact what people think. I want to see Kai Havertz in that position because I think he's far better there than playing as a bloody left eight. Um, Steve Bright says, to be honest, it's great news. Zinchenko's out. Listen, I have doubts about Zinchenko defensively, and I think against the very best teams, he's a liability in the left-back position. But against Crystal Palace, where you're going to face a low block and their attacking threat is going to be limited, I actually think this is the perfect type of game for it. I really, really do. And Jakub Kivior, for me, decent enough player, but he's not a bloody left-back. He really, really isn't. And the sooner that we can get past having to use him there, I think the better. Um... Robert says uh, Ramsdale's played his last game. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, he also says definitely would play Jorginho. And then he goes on to say the big question is, um, why are so many players out of form? That's the billion dollar question, isn't it? Because we've gone from talking about Arsenal being more efficient, Arsenal looking like they have greater control of games. Arsenal looking like a totally different side this year, a side that maybe, you know, a few weeks ago, people were saying, are better equipped to go on and win the Premier League title to now Arsenal looking toothless, not taking their chances and all the rest of it. And I don't think in between those two narratives, in between those two opinions being the kind of centre of what the fan base is feeling, I don't think that Mikel Arteta has changed anything. I don't think that he's done anything different. I think he's literally... 80% down to the fact that players have just dropped off in form. Saka, Martinelli, um, Odegaard's not been in the same form. Jesus, when he's played this season, hasn't been as effective as he was last season. When Trossard's come in, he's not really brought anything to the party, which he would have done last season. You know, it, it, it's a combination of, of issues, but the form thing has got to be the biggest thing. And I don't really know how you fix that. But again, it's one of the reasons that I've been saying, well, 
we know that we can't really spend in January. So stop obsessing about who we may or may not bring in. Stop getting caught up in wild transfer rumors like the Karen Benzema rumor. Focus on what we have and try and get them back to the level that they need to be at. Now, is it a psychological thing? Is it that some of them are tired? Is it, you know, in which case would the break have done them good? You know, has the Dubai training camp done them good? I guess we're going to find out at the weekend. We've had our blip. Everybody has a blip. City have had a blip. That's why, you know, we're close to them in terms of points. Liverpool haven't really had a blip yet this season, but they will at some point. Everybody does. You know, let's hope that we've got ours out of our way and let's hope that this is it now. You know, if you have a second one, then you got problems, right? But, you know, we had a blip right at the end of last season when Man and Man City had the blip just before Christmas around that period. And then they became relentless after that period. They still went on to win the league. I'm not sitting here saying that Arsenal are going to win the league. I'm saying all is not lost. We've got a massive Champions League tie coming up next month as well, which I'm absolutely buzzing about. There's so much to be positive about at Arsenal still, even after a rotten run of results over the last couple of months. Let's get behind the team on Saturday and hopefully we can go out there and and get back it, it to winning ways and, and move forward. Okay. Um, uh, I, I don't understand, Kenny, what, what your comment means. Sorry, mate. Clarify that and, and I'll read it out and, and be sure to debate it. No problem at all. Um, in terms of my score prediction then for Arsenal versus Crystal Palace, I'm going to be nice and optimistic. Arsenal three, Crystal Palace nil for me. I think it's going to click. I think we're going to be fine. I think we needed the break. I think the break came at a good time. Although there's been a lot of discourse during the break, a lot of that's been down to a lot of us overthinking and obviously the lack of transfer activity has frustrated some people. But hey, guys, listen, that was always going to be the reality of the situation. So my prediction is Arsenal 3, Crystal Palace. Now get yours in the comments section as well. Going to take some of your questions and then we're going to wrap it up. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Do not go anywhere. Welcome back to the show. Last few minutes, let's do you guys' questions. Uh, what have we got? What have we got? What have we got? Um, 90 MFC says we should never have loaned Tierney. This is one of those things that is really, really easy to say with hindsight. So you've got at the club, you've got Zinchenko, you've got Tommy Asu, and you've got Timber. That means that Kieran Tierney would have been, at least in Arteta's estimations, now I accept that you guys might see this differently, but in Arteta's estimations, in fact, I see this differently as well, but in Arteta's estimations, Kieran Tierney would have been the fourth choice left back at the club. Fourth choice. Now, you've got to do a bit of a balancing act as well as a football club. And this is the bit that I think people fail to understand. It's not as simple as saying we should have just kept Kieran Tierney because Kieran Tierney wouldn't have played any football. And would Kieran Tierney have been content with that? Would Kieran Tierney have been happy with that? I think it's become apparent over the last year, 18 months, that Mikel Arteta doesn't really rate Kieran Tierney in terms of what he wants specifically from his left back. Kieran Tierney's contract at Arsenal um, expires in 2026, which means he still has some value to the football club. But he only has value if people are interested in him. And the only way he stays in the shop window and the only way that anybody's going to come anywhere near him is if they take a look, see him playing somewhere and think, yep, you know what, I'll have a bit of that. If Kieran Tierney disappears into the depths of the Arsenal squad and is playing as the third or fourth choice left back at the football club, because clearly Mikel Arteta wants something different, what good is that? Come the summer, he's a player that we can sell. He'll have two years left on his contract which means that we can get a decent price for him. I'm not saying it's going to be mega money. Even if it's 15, 20 million pounds, it's 15, 20 million pounds. That goes a long way in terms of our profit and sustainability stuff. So I, I like it's easy to say with hindsight, we should have kept Kieran Tierney. But if he wasn't going to play, then you have to do what makes business sense sometimes as well, which is loan him out to try and retain his value or potentially even drive it up because it would have taken a dip last season when he was second choice. 
and at times third choice as well, because Tommy Asu got the nod ahead of him in certain games as well. Now, I'm not even saying, by the way, that I don't rate Kieran Tierney or that I don't think he could have done a job for us or that he deserves to be the fourth choice left. But that's not what I'm saying at all. I think it's up for debate. I think the problem that Kieran Tierney's got is that Mikel Arteta wants something very specific from his left back. And unfortunately, that doesn't fall within Kieran Tierney's strengths. So, yeah, those are my thoughts on, on that. Uh, Mario Romano says, hi, Harry. Do you think it could be that the players aren't happy about the Ramsdale situation? We haven't really played well since that. Obviously, we've missed Partey and Timber. I just feel it's different. I mean, I think that that would have come as a surprise to a lot of the players when it first happened, when Aaron Ramsdale was essentially ousted from the number one position. I think initially a lot of his teammates and, you know, friends and and the staff around the place would have been a bit surprised. No, um, no doubt about that. But do I think it's still a problem now? No, because that would be, to, to say that would suggest that the rest of the squad haven't given David Raya a fair crack and not respectful of, of his qualities and not, you know, welcoming to him and not happy with him. And I think that one of the problems David Raya had at the beginning, I think he's settled down a bit now, but at the beginning, one of the problems he had was all the fans were clamouring for Ramsdale all the time. How does that make him feel? I think he probably felt a little bit uncomfortable given the circumstances. I think now he probably looks at it a bit differently. I think the noise is reduced around the Ramsdale right thing. It's always going to be there because Ramsdale's a really good goalkeeper and it should be there because you want competition. That was the whole point of making the other signing. But I think the Partey and Timber thing has been a much bigger factor in why we are where we are than the goalkeeping situation. Okay, um, Kenny was trying to say the whole idea of gaslighting us with this Chelsea flop is disgusting. Who's gaslighting you, man? Like, literally, you're just looking to pick a fight. Like, honestly, you're just looking to pick an argument. Gaslighting you. I'm here to give you my opinion on what I'd like to see in terms of the starting 11. You disagree, mate? You disagree. Tell me what your starting 11 would be. It's not gaslighting anybody, and it's nothing to do with the fact that he used to play for Chelsea. Sounds like you've got PTSD when it comes to Chelsea because you keep bringing it up. I don't give a shit who he played for before. He plays for Arsenal Football Club now, and I want him to succeed. And I think there were things that he showed in the game against Liverpool that suggest that he's got a greater chance of succeeding as a different option up front than he does as a left eight. And if you go back to the beginning of the season, in fact, before the season even started, and we kept talking about how Arsenal would line up and what the best team it was and how it should all look, I repeatedly said that I still can't get my head around this idea that he's coming into play primarily as a left eight. Now, it had to happen in the end because we lost Thomas Partey for a long time. For some weird reason, we were using Partey as a right back right at the beginning of the campaign. I can't tell you why that was because I don't know. But this idea that I'm like trying to sell you, mate, if you disagree, you disagree. It's as simple as that. Uh, what else have we got? Tom Smith says, Harry <laughs> wagging his finger like my uncle would. <laughs> there we go. Anyway, um, I mean, look at this. You, he's making up. He's making up songs. He's making up songs. It don't even rhyme. We have weak Mick Arteta. He's so confused about what we need. Raya a basket. Havertz so scared. We continue. Mate, you got to make it rhyme. <laughs> you got to make it rhyme. Come on. Come on. Um, Steve Bright says, I remember when Arteta didn't rate Martinez. So he upgraded him with Ramsdale. And here we are. I can't work out if you're saying here we are, as in, look, we're in a better position than we were back then. Or if you're trying to say that we should have kept Martinez. Either way, Arsenal have gone from being a side that were in eighth position to a side that you're all disappointed about now because they're not sitting top of the league. The level of expectations gone up. And do you know why the level of expectations gone up? Because the standards gone up. So all those people that go, oh, the standards, the standards, the standards, the standards are higher now than they were five years ago. So if you're talking about standards, I accept that you want higher standards than what we currently have. That's fine. You should always aspire to the best in anything that you do. But this idea that 
Mikel's come in and lowered the standards when actually we're now being talked about as title contenders when for the last 10 years of Wenger's reign, it wasn't even a consideration really, was it? I mean, we finished second behind Leicester that one time, um, you know, when, you know, on that occasion where people thought that we could have won the league that year, but it wasn't to be. We hadn't been solid title contenders over the course of multiple seasons for a long, long time. So the standards have certainly increased. Now, they might not be in line with your personal standards, but that's tough, isn't it? Like, it's your club. You support them. You get behind them. You always aspire for the best. You always want more. You always want to see them go on and win things. But should your support wane? Should you turn abusive? Should you turn overly critical? Should you start searching desperately for things to beat your players with when they narrowly miss out on the standard that you've set? No, you get behind them, you encourage them, and you go again. That's what you do. That's what supporters do. There are supporters and there are fans. I'm a supporter. I support this football club. I love this football club. I've loved it since I was a little kid. I'm desperate for it to do well. But I'm also not blind to what goes on in the rest of the football world. I'm also not blind and I, and to, to everything else that we've got to contend with. I'm also not naive enough to think that it's only about what you do. Um, it's about the whole landscape. You know, Manchester City are bloody excellent. I don't see Liverpool fans having a go at Jurgen Klopp because he only took the title off of them once. Liverpool, the Liverpool fans, they support their club, man. They do. Whether you agree with a lot of the stuff that they say or a lot of the, you know, the clashes that we've had over the years, you know, in terms of the rivalry, they, they get behind their club, man. And I look at the way some of our supporters have almost been waiting for this dip in results to come so that they could really go in on the manager, really go in on certain players. And and why? Not because they genuinely believe that the standards are really poor and on the floor and all the rest of it. It's because they want to create viral content. It's because they know that outrage sells. And... <laughs> Those people, they'll deny it, but we all know the truth. We all know the truth. And you know how you know the truth? And this is not the case with all of them, because some of them are really, really consistent with their streaming and all that. Fair play to them. And I'm not digging out any individuals, right? Because there's a lot of people whose Arsenal opinions I completely disagree with. They're at the complete other end of the spectrum to mine. But I respect them as people. So I'm not going to sit there and, and go after people individually. I think that's wrong. Okay. I think it's wrong. But you'll notice that some of them, particularly those that are trying to grow something, that are trying to build a channel or whatever, and are still in the relatively early stages. And I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination that this is a special channel or anything like that. As a podcast, we're, we're quite big and I'm really, really proud of that. As a YouTube channel, we're moderate sized. Right. I know that. But what you've noticed actually over the last few weeks is that with the discourse, with the frustration around the signings and all the rest of it, some of them have gone from streaming twice a week to streaming twice a day because they know that the angry rants and the frustration and all of that coming across, it generates clicks and it generates views. And so they're looking at it as a growth opportunity. That's why they keep doing it. That's why they keep making things this big into this big because they want to grow their platform. That's fine, each to their own, but don't be sucked in by that because it's not, in a lot of cases, it's not a true representation of what they feel. And, and if they sat down rationally and analysed a lot of the stuff they're talking about, they come to very, very different conclusions. You know, some of them have been sitting online and saying, in particular about me, that I uh, that I can't say anything because because I do some work for the football club and because I cover the football club and I'm in the press box. It's a load of nonsense. Nobody at the club has ever said anything to me about what I tweet, what I say. And do you know why? Because I, I am critical quite a bit, but because I do it in a respectful way, I do it in a fair way. And that's how it should be. The sensationalism, if you like that kind of thing, there's plenty of places you can get that. You're not going to get that here. 
You're not going to get me sitting here making up Mikel Arteta songs when the guy has progressed our football club. And we talked about it on a recent episode. We said, is there a question around? Someone put the question in. It was a really, really good question. Is it a, is there a possibility that Arteta is the man before the man? And he, he it could be. He could be the man before the man. But I'm not at that point yet where I'm willing to go. Yeah, he's definitely the man before the man. So we need to we need to move on from him. I think what he's done so far has seen him earn the right to continue to try and push us to the next level. Where that cutoff point is, when you then go, maybe he is the man before the man and we need to make a change. That's up to each individual. But the only people whose opinion matters is, is those that are sitting at the top of the football club. So let's get behind him. Let's get behind the team. Let's get back to winning ways at the weekend because that's what matters. Um, Cass says, I'm just disappointed. Um, the areas that Arteta needed to upgrade uh, were for competition for Saka and a midfielder to replace Xhaka apart from Rice. I just felt Havertz wasn't needed and neither was Raya. And listen, those are perfectly valid criticism staff. I'm not sitting here telling people that you should agree with every single decision. But when you start crossing over from disagreeing with a decision and being disappointed about something to I'm going to start shouting abuse about my manager and my football club and certain players and all the rest of it, then you lose all respect in any debate because then you just become a talking head online that shouts and abuses and calls people all sorts of names under the sun. And most of the time you're saying stuff that you'd never say to anyone's face. You do it be behind the sanctuary of your computer. But listen, lots and lots of valid opinions um, with regards to things that Mikel Arteta may have got wrong. I don't dispute that for a second. Anyway, that rounds up today's show. Thank you all so, so much for tuning in. Really, really appreciate it. Apologies about the different time of the stream today. The truth is um, that I just wasn't prepared for the preview. I hadn't done the graphics. I hadn't done anything when I woke up this morning. And I had to get into um, to the 90 Min studio for the, the show this afternoon, or this morning, I should say, late morning. And I didn't have enough time to put it all together and then stream it out live to you guys as well. So I figured do it later in the day and do it properly. Um, we've had some really good discussions outside of the game as well. So thank you, uh, as always, for your interaction in the comments. Listen, I'm fine with people disagreeing with me. I'm more than happy to have those debates, have those conversations. And those of you that disagree with me, you are more than welcome to come onto the show and talk to me about it. Um, no problem. I'm not one of these people that goes, it's only what I say and nothing else matters. I take opinions on board. Don't mean I have to agree with them, though. I'll catch you all there at the next one. Thank you so, so much. Um, and uh, have a great Thursday evening, Friday, whatever, Saturday morning even, if you're catching this one late. I'll see you all soon. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>